0: podcasting from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, home of your Eastern Division leading Philadelphia Phillies. This is the TeacherCast podcast. <music> Hello everyone. This is Jeff Bradbury and welcome to another episode of the TeacherCast podcast from teachercast.net. The TeacherCast podcast is a weekly show where we discuss the 21st century technologies that teachers need to utilize in their 21st century classrooms. Today we have two very special guests with us. I'd like to welcome from the United Kingdom, Steve Wheeler, onto the program. Hello, Steve. How are you doing today? How are things in I, England?
1: Hi, I'm fine. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very dark here now because it's uh, almost midnight, but I'm doing good.
0: And how, uh, how, how are things in England these days?
1: Um, In terms of of the weather, I suppose we always talk about the weather, it's um, not a very good summer here at the moment. Um, We've had lots of rain and it's been a bit chilly, so uh, July's been a bit treacherous. Um, In terms of other things, well, you know, it could be better economically and it could be better politically, but um, we're all keeping our heads above water anyway.
0: Well, from the other side of the globe, it's, it's it's not summer where you are from, Mark. It's absolutely not. It's in the middle of winter, and we're having
2: one of our most bitterly uh, winters that we've ever had in history, in my opinion. It's uh, just icy cold every day, and for the last month, it's uh, just been sub-10 degrees Celsius uh, right across the board. So it hasn't been very nice, but we're getting there, that's for sure.
0: And uh, where are you speaking to us from today, Mark?
2: Well, Sydney, Australia.
0: That is a long way away from Philadelphia. Well, gentlemen, we have so much to talk to you guys about today. Steve, I'd like to start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what type of work you do in the educational field?
1: Okay, thanks, Jeff. I'm um, an associate professor in learning technologies at the University of Plymouth, which is in southwest England. That's where I'm talking to you from now. And um, essentially, I train teachers. Uh, We train teachers in... The primary sector—that's uh, what you would call elementary school—we train teachers in the secondary sector. I'm assuming that would be high school, and we train teachers who are working in colleges and in universities. Uh, those who have come in with degrees but want a qualification to teach, and um, so we train right across the board. And Plymouth's quite a big university. We've got around about thirty-three thousand students. That's pretty big for the UK. And um, what I do at the moment is I specialize in research as well as teaching into areas such as web to social media type technologies, mobile technologies, and uh, various other technologies within the classroom as well. And uh, I've been doing that now for around about um, 12 or 13 years within this institute, but I've been involved with media for about 35 years.
0: And, and how long does it take a student in uh, in England to go through? Is it a normal four-year degree like we have in, in America?
1: Yep, there's two routes. You can either take a degree that's a specialist topic, like a Bachelor of Science or a Bachelor of Arts in a particular topic, and then you can do what we call a PGCE, which is a, a Professional Graduate Certificate of Education, which is a one-year course on top of the degree, and that gives you your qualification. Or you can do a specialist degree in education, what we call the Bachelor of Education degree, uh, mainly for primary school educators, and that's a four-year straight-through degree.
0: And uh, how's the job market these days for uh, just out-of-school graduate teaching professionals?
1: Well, there are shortage subjects, as we call them, uh, subjects like maths and English language and um, uh, some of the sciences, and the government at the moment in the UK is actually um, still offering teachers, if they go into that field, it's offering them um, what we call a golden handshake, which is a certain amount of money for actually joining and and, um, into a subject area that's a shortage where there aren't enough teachers. So in some areas that we are trying to recruit more teachers and every year, most of the universities that I know of in the UK who are doing teacher training initially, then they're actually being oversubscribed.
0: Wow. It's almost the same over here. We we have a lot of you know teacher colleges, and we have a lot of people going into the education field. But especially in New Jersey, where I live, and, and other parts of the of the country, there's there's just not a lot of positions. There's you know there's a lot of uh, reduction in force here in the teacher field due to budgetary cuts. Is it almost the same thing in, in you know in in your part of the world?
1: I I don't think there are any um, teachers being made redundant. Uh, per se, you know, across the board, you know, huge quantities of that happening. But um, what is happening is, is that there's a, because of the change in government we're, we're, and because of a roll-on from the last government's um, policies, what, what what is happening is a lot of schools are, are leaving local government control and going into what they call academy status, which means that they self-fund themselves. They get a budget uh, from the government, but they self-fund themselves and they decide what their future's going to be. They don't have to go through the local education authorities, what we call the councils and the, um, the authorities anymore. So, so it's, it's, it's a, it seems to be an all, all changed situation as far as schools in, in both the primary and secondary, uh, the compulsory sectors are, are concerned.
0: Hmm. Now, Mark, you come to us from a little bit of a different point of view. Tell us a bit about the educational system in Australia and how you feel that schools are teaching students to be technologically active.
2: Yeah, I do. Um, well, basically, the the way we handle things in Australia is we've got the uh, kindergarten through to year six, which uh, is generally regarded as the primary school years. Then we've got the high school years, which uh, go from year seven through to year twelve, and then we've got a uh, you know a choice of going down either a TAFE, which is a, a government-funded uh, education system, and, and uh, self and pretty much subsidized a little bit. And then we've got the university uh, route as well. And uh, yeah, we, we just see, uh, I, I suppose my biggest concern has been apparent with uh, kids about to join the, the school and the education system is the size of the classes at the moment. Um, we, we don't have, I suppose, the budget. Uh, to really have more teachers uh, to accommodate smaller class sizes. And with that in mind, I I get worried and have concerns about how much uh, children in Australia are actually learning and getting that one-on-one communication and support from teachers that they need to further develop in both technology and just in general areas of education.
0: Interesting. Now, one of the things that we as educators here keep talking about are these 21st century skills do they talk to you in the uk about these 21st century skills is that a buzzword over there
1: it is jeff it's um, something that a lot of people are blogging about we're seeing it in papers presented at conferences uh, even you know book chapters and journal articles coming out about it but um i'll just quote you a friend of mine uh, stephen heppel you may have heard of him he's a professor in the UK who travels the world, he said something very interesting the other day. He said that children who are now in elementary school, in primary school, they've known nothing but 21st century learning. So why are we calling it still 21st century (laughs) learning? Let's just call it learning.
0: V- very true. I, I I do like at the beginning of every school year when the list comes out of these hundred things our current kindergartners will never, ever have. And, you know, it's always things like VCRs and never having to rewind a tape. And yep. I, I, I always love those lists when they come out because they're just so true. I mean, we're looking today at, you know, do we want to keep our VCR player in our house or sell it at a yard sale? And
2: you still <laughs> we'll have
1: one? <laughs> You're <laughs> like scrap metal perhaps.
0: <laughs> true. True, true, true. Um just just briefly i will I'll I'll leave it up to you guys. What what are twenty-first century skills?
1: Shall I go first? Yeah. I, I guess really for me twenty-first century skills are just a rollover, they're just an evolution of twentieth century skills. Um what when you would have once have had to have programmed a VCR to record something Know what you're doing is you're using digital methods to do a similar thing to be able to pause live TV, to be able to um, rewind and you know that the, the uh, rewind the digital loop, so to speak. Um, I'm still speaking in 20th century terms there when I say that, but um, to be able to access media and use it, harness the power of it in a way that similar to the way that you would have done 20 or 30 years ago when these tools first became available uh, on a domestic basis or in schools. I remember when I was um, in primary school, when I was a young lad, we were really excited because we were able to watch a live television broadcast for the first time in the classroom, and that was amazing for us because nobody had ever seen television in the classroom before, um, and it was a you know a boring program. It wasn't very well put together, but we were excited just to watch it. And for me now, the twenty first century schools, if there is such a thing, it's about children. And teachers as well, harnessing the power of these technologies to help them to learn in more exciting ways, to enhance the experience, to extend the experience, and, and to, to be creative while you're doing it. I think there's a lot more to that than that, but I think that's in a nutshell, really.
0: Now, Mark, you have two young, young kids, right?
2: I do, both under five, and my daughter's about to start school uh, come the new year.
0: Now, do they already know how to type? N-
2: not exactly. Now, um, they know where everything is on the screen. They can use the user interface on a computer. They can certainly use the user interface on an iPad. But they haven't yet got the... They, they understand the letters, but they haven't yet got the words in there. They try to type their name into the game box uh, where it says, uh, please put your name in. And they get close. So my daughter, who's five, gets up to about three or four letters, and, uh, and that's about as far as she gets at the moment.
0: Now, Steve, if you were teaching Mark's young kids, would they need to know how to even write in cursive?
1: Um, it, it, this is a difficult question because because cursive writing or any type of um, handwriting um, is is becoming for for younger kids maybe something that they don't need. Um, that that might sound heretic, you know, heretical to to some teachers, but. Technology moves on fast. I mean, we're talking about keyboard skills here, and we're talking about the skill of maybe using a mouse or a tracker um, pad or whatever. But in, in maybe 20 years' time, when the next generation comes through, they're going to be looking at this generation of kids who are now grown up, and they're going to be saying, you actually touch a computer?
0: <laughs> I just think it's interesting right now. The, one of the things on that list that I was reading of you know skills that kids won't need in 15 20 years one of them was cursive and i'm thinking but you still need to sign your name on documents and you still need to sign receipts and stuff like that i i guess maybe in 20 years we are going to go away from signing things and it'll go to either a thumbprint or a a credit card type uh swipe or whatever but um personally from
2: my side of the fence i still believe that they need to have that basic level of education and understanding and and Be able to actually write fluently with the hand And read fluently a book, for instance One thing that I do with my children is they've got plenty of e-books But we always make sure that they've got books that sit in their their bookshelf in their rooms And one thing that we do is we won't go and read the e-book to them at night, for instance When we want them to go to sleep, we'll actually get out the paper book and we'll read them the paper book so that they have the best of both worlds. And I don't know if that will continue, but I I think right for the next immediate future, the next 10, maybe 15 years, I think that's still going to be of vital importance.
0: Certainly do. Um, Steve, you know, 10 years ago, we were using the web similar to how we use it today if we wanted to find out some information, we would you know, type into a search engine and it would come back to us. Recently, we've introduced this term Web 2.0. Could you discuss a little bit about what is Web 2.0 and why we as teachers need to know it and maybe teach it to our kids?
1: Uh, well, Tim O'Reilly was the originator of the idea of Web 2.0. He he was trying to create a scenario in which we we'd moved on from what we would call the sticky web, you know, Web One, which we couldn't really change, and Web Two is much more participatory. Web Two is much more interactive, in as much that you can, if if it does exist, then you can actually add content yourself. So Wikipedia, for instance, is a classic Web Two technology. Um, it's a content repository, really, which people can edit. You know, freely. Um, Blogging is another Web2 tool. Uh, There are so many different types of Web2 tools. I guess the most popular ones would be something like Facebook or Twitter, because these are tools which are social networking tools, which allow us to connect with people in a way which we previously wouldn't have done, and, and on a scale which we previously wouldn't have done. And it's becoming quite pervasive when you consider that Facebook recently announced its 750 millionth um, subscriber and and I think Twitter is now on 150 million and, and growing very fast. They added 600,000 new um, uh, subscribers. I think this week. So so um, th- these are exponential growths in this kind of Web 2 technology. And and to answer the initial question that you made, I think the idea was that once we actually searched for um, answers to questions, now the answers come to us through our personal learning networks or our professional. Learning uh, tools. It's it's about really sharing your knowledge with your friends these
0: days. Should we trust? Should we teach our kids to trust everything that they read? I mean, so many times you hear English teachers saying, "Don't go to Wikipedia for information." I've even said it to my own students. You know, anything on Wikipedia may be true, may be false. I'll tell you what
1: tell you what I tell my own students, uh, Jeff, is is that, um, and and these are, bearing in mind, these are 18, 19, 20-year-olds, they've come in to learn how to be a teacher, and they really need to know what the veracity, what the truthfulness of of sites are, because they'll be quoting from Wikipedia as well, and I I say to them, look, quote from from Wikipedia by all means, but also balance that up by quoting from peer-reviewed journal articles or chapters from books or other, you know, artifacts where, where you've actually done the research, because for many, it's a bit of a shortcut, and I think students can get lazy. I don't think there's anything wrong with Wikipedia on the whole because it's been edited by and created by many postgraduate students in those subjects.
0: All right, so let's hit another topic. Um, in dealing with Web 2.0 and blogs, wikis, uh, you know, you mentioned Facebook, applications like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about e-learning an e-learning education, um, as a teacher, what can we expect from our students? What should we be able to provide for our students? Should we as teachers be able to set up an e-learning environment to go along with our courses? I think most of us think of e-learning as take a course online, but, but really, isn't there more that we can do to help our students outside of the classroom hours?
2: Um, well, wouldn't you class E learn in Australia where we're sort of uh, getting there where you can actually learn uh, via distance learning and so forth through uh, universities and the TAFE system and so forth? And a few years ago, I actually did a uh, marketing uh, diploma online purely because I didn't have the time to, to go down to the institution and actually learn it that way. Now, the issue that I had though was in the delivery of That media and so forth. It was very much, listen, we'll email you, we'll, um, you know, send you this link and you follow this up. And it just wasn't as interactive as I was led to believe. I was assuming that we'd have, you know, sort of round table discussions and so forth uh, with the actual instructor, but that didn't happen. So I'm not sure how it is in other places in the world, but certainly in Australia, I think we've got a, a little ways to go yet.
1: I I guess um, for me, the secret is to find out what the E stands for in (laughs) e-learning. And most people will say, well, it's electronic, isn't it? And I'll I'll say to them, well, maybe it was once, but now we need to kind of start looking at what E can also stand for. Maybe it's about enriching or extending or enhancing or enlivening uh, learning. And and then I think you get to the crux of the matter, the the, the baseline of it, which is if, if it doesn't, if it can't extend or enhance, then don't use it. And far too often in my own country and in a lot of Europe, actually, that I get around a lot of European countries, and I see the same thing happening. They, they, they put a whiteboard into, you know, an interactive whiteboard in, into a classroom and expect suddenly learning to be enhanced and enriched and extended. When, in fact, if the teacher doesn't know how to use that interactive whiteboard for anything more than a display board then what is the extension? What is the enrichment? What is the enhancement there? So really, those technologies are being used just for the sake of being there, when in fact um, we should design it the other way around. What can we do to enhance learning? Okay, what kind of tools can we use to do that?
0: And and what kind of tools are available? Um, for instance, in the school district where I am, I have a lot of teachers that are now adopting and trying to embrace iPads in classrooms. And a lot of them have ended up coming over to me going, how do I do it? You know, I have an iPad, now what? So where, where do you see things going? How do we teach the teachers to use this technology? And which technologies should we push teachers towards?
1: I, th- I think it's a case of um, asking teachers to decide, firstly, what personal tools they'll find useful for learning. Um, a, t- a teacher should be a learning expert. They should be an expert in, in how they learn. Uh, first um and then when they find personal tools that that they find useful then i think it's a case once they've learned them and they become passionate about those tools and how they can use them for learning then i think it's the case to introduce them into their own classrooms and a lot of you know it seems to me that a lot of schools are getting it back to front they're buying in lots of these tools without the teachers really firstly understanding the pedagogy that, that that kind of atta- can attach itself to those tools and then secondly actually endearing themselves to it and thinking yeah i can use this without the kids laughing at me because i can use it effectively uh, so i think it's about familiarity as well as about the purpose driven nature of, of of the tool
2: yeah there's certainly no use in the students teaching the teacher that's for sure and that happens uh, so often with teachers i know out here in australia where you know the kids go to school and they've got a bit of a, a background in technology like my kids do and the teachers just say oh you know i didn't know how to do that but you know what the students taught me how so (laughs) i think that needs to
0: change so true absolutely yeah at at what what age do you think we should be sending students to school with ipads with laptops
2: day one kindergarten but let me be clear on this um i think it needs to be in You know, from, say, kindergarten level through to the age of 12, which would be uh, year six in Australia, I feel that they should have a uh, computing sort of studies maybe twice a week, no longer than about half an hour to 45 minutes each time. And then at the high school level, I believe that it should be primarily uh, then on iPads or computers, in my opinion.
1: Uh, I, I I tend to go along with that, um, but i, I think uh, in primary schools in, in elementary schools, we can go even more deeper than that. Uh, one of the kind of pet hates i 've got at the moment is the idea of the iCT suite for kids you know where you you stick them all in one place because that 's where the computers are and and you tether them with a computer i, I mean we, we, we don 't do that with pencils or with or with pens do we we don 't have a pencil suite, so why should we have an iCT suite? You know, can't we give them all handheld devices or, or, or um, mobile devices which they can move around the school um, and get them into the idea of, of, of seeing that learning and ICT, information technology, are, are, are kind of can be synonymous with each other. You don't have to go to one place to be able to learn with a computer.
2: That's a good point and one that I wouldn't have thought of in the past. That's very much like... Uh you know, this darkened room at the end of the hall that the students go to once a week uh, to learn computer studies. It's not exactly uh, encouraged when it's uh, done like that. I wouldn't have thought of it that way.
0: No, I think that's a great point. I know a lot of schools out there are adopting, you know, computer labs or notebook labs or netbook labs or even iPad labs these days. And it's really just what device is in front of you. The kids are still sitting in rows, taking notes, taking lectures. and And you're right. They're not getting up. And actually learning how to use the devices, I really still think it's because the teachers don't know how to teach with them. Um, one example yep. is at the beginning of the year, when my kids come in, I tell them I have a Twitter account for the for our classes. Half of my kids have never seen Twitter. Half of my kids don't know what Twitter is. And when I my parents come in for back to school night, they still think that Twitter is a way that their kids can tell each other what they're using for breakfast. And and so how how would you suggest that teachers either use a social site like twitter or you know i for instance i use twitter to post my daily homework thinking that the kids can get it on their phones the parents can pick it up and we can have better communication um steve how how, how do you use twitter or do you use twitter in your classrooms
1: i do mainly with my teacher educators of course and um we i use it mainly as a demonstration tool to show them the connectedness of, of the society that they're living within and, and and the fact that they can actually lock in and, and uh, have conversations with real experts in, in the field around the world. But, you know, I, I'm also advocating that in, in, in schools where there are various subjects being taught that, that Twitter can actually enhance and enliven that. So, for instance, you can have a language tandem whereby the teacher... Um, if you're teaching French, for instance, the teacher can tweet out a phrase in French, and the and the um, the students all have to send their own individual um, replies back, either in French or, or maybe a translation into English or another language. Um, another uh, one that I, I advocate is, is in history, where uh, the teacher or one of the students can actually create a fake account of, of uh, a historical figure, and then they tweet in the language and in the culture and in and in, in the kind of the 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 events of, of that time, and the other students follow and make comments and, and interview that person so there there are lots of ways that you can use Twitter to enliven and enhance learning
0: now if if you walk into a classroom let's say Steve, and out of fifteen kids, seven of them have Twitter accounts, and the rest don't. Do you feel that you, as a teacher, should say, go out and get yourself a Twitter account? We're going to be using this. Do you feel like you should be forcing this kind of technology down on students?
1: Well, if um, if you're doing, say, an experiment, do you force a Bunsen burner onto children? Do you force um, a test tube onto them? No, you provide the same for everybody because that's part of the learning kit. And Twitter is just another tool.
0: Let's, let's change the subject now a little bit to a popular one that's been catching on. Sites that are more social networks that are used in the classroom, such as Facebook, say Google Plus just came out. Um, Mark, wh- how do you feel about your, your, your little ones growing up in a world where they have to use Facebook for education and, and teachers teaching with Facebook and Google Plus and, and h- How do you feel about all that stuff?
2: Facebook scares me. It scares me uh, as an adult and it scares me for my children. Um, It's just not safe. It's not secure. I personally uh, can't stand it. Um, However, I've been looking into the Google Plus uh, social network, which is basically, uh, I'd say probably... The same as Facebook, but a more professional and a more confined uh, space that can be controlled and so forth. And I think that with some of the things that they have, such as hangouts and so forth, where you can get a group of people together in a video conference and discuss a topic, that's got more education benefits um, from my side of the fence. I just feel that uh, Facebook is the place for the teenagers to uh, discuss the silly things that they're doing that will then end up uh, having their future employer look and go, well, we don't want you uh, working for us, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, I I hope that Facebook isn't a key in education. Um, Certainly Twitter and Google Plus I would endorse, but Facebook just is not a safe place for kids in my opinion. And to be quite honest, they they shouldn't be on there, uh, certainly under the age of 13 anyway.
1: I think I'd go along with with a lot of what Mark's just said. Another thing about Facebook, besides it being unsafe, is that um, there are far too many distractions in there for young people. Um, you know, people tend to poke each other and throw food at each other and play Farmville and what have you. Um, and, and you know, these, these are just huge distractions from from the learning that they should be doing in the classroom or whatever.
0: And do do you feel these types of skills and these types of social media should they be taught at home? or should they be taught at school? I mean, should we, as, should, should we as parents be teaching our kids internet safety, or are we saying that's, that's an educational thing, let the schools deal with that?
2: I think both. Um, as a parent, I, I want to make sure that regardless of what device uh, my kids are on, whether it's in the classroom, at a friend's house, in my own house, I want them to know that, hey, there's bad areas of the internet out there just in life and you want to stay away from this, and this is the way that you protect yourself. But then I think another good benefit would be from day one for the schools to actually teach students that, hey, be careful online. You're not going to go down the road and give a perfect stranger your information or talk to a stranger. It really comes back to, from the little kids' level, a stranger danger uh, kind of thing. And if you can enforce and, and expand on stranger danger... Into and bring the internet into that as well then they can grow up with that in mind and just be a little bit more careful about who they entrust information to online. I, I see so many um, people that, friends and, and family that have their kids uh, on Facebook and they've got their real date of birth and their address there and uh, it's, it's a mess and it's a real worry so anything that can be done to lessen the information that's given out and to inform the kids that there's dangers out there is always a good thing, in my opinion.
1: I, I think that's true. And, and um, schools have a lot of, I think, onus on them to to educate children um, into the dangers of the Internet and, and into being safe on the Internet and not disclosing personal information and certainly not meeting people that you've never met in real life or don't know um, that you've met online. But one of the biggest problems we've got in the UK at the moment is that lots of school authorities – are blocking these tools from being used in schools because they think that's a good thing. That you know, don't don't let the schools have YouTube and don't let them have Facebook because um, we want to block them completely. But that's really sending the wrong message to the kids. And I, I tell you what, if I was a, a kid in school now and they blocked YouTube, I'd be going out to find out what it was all about. I'd be subverting it.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I know there's a lot of school districts in in America that that are very much pushing, you know, education is is great and technology is wonderful, use it, and then the kid comes into school and everything is just completely shut down and you can't get on to anything.
1: Yeah, It, it works badly both ways, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, and so that doesn't help educate children
2: about the, uh, you know, the other areas of life and, and so forth and protect them from, uh, you know, going to different areas. All it does is it places a taboo over a certain, uh, you know, site or a certain service. And the kids, being naturally inquisitive, will go out and, and find a way to actually, uh, get onto that network and it could cause more trouble than it's worth.
0: Absolutely. 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 So, if if our schools are having issues with hacking and and kids going into places that they shouldn't be and certain types of content getting through the, the firewalls, maybe perhaps I'll ask you guys what apps, what technologies, what websites can we use that are safe? We've already said Facebook probably not, Google Plus maybe maybe not, and and Twitter definitely when used properly, but. Should we be using blogs? Should we be using uh, like a Ning or like a Wiki? Should we be having our kids create social sites? There's a lot of teacher-created social sites out there like a Ning. or. or wh- how do you feel about this? Like, what would you suggest we use, Steve?
1: Uh, absolutely, we, we should be getting kids, even primary school kids, to, to be using blogs and Wikis because, um, well, for the simple reason that it's creative, but another reason that I'll give you, and I'm working with some schools actually in the UK at the moment, doing some research with them, we're discovering that as young children are blogging, that they, they fall in love with writing because they're actually writing for an audience and they're getting tangible feedback from the audience. These these are blogs that are created by teachers and they're maintained and and, um, and kind of moderated by teachers so that the kids only get to see the comments that are, uh, you know, that, that, are, that are polite comments, if you like, comments that don't have any any nasty things in them, and uh, they'll filter out all the bad stuff, but but the kids, when they do see these comments coming back and they realize they've got an audience, they actually raise their game in terms of the amount of writing they do, and also the style of writing. They're, they're much more um, uh, kind of, uh, they concentrate more on, on the, the sentence structure that they create, they, they concentrate more on, on the story that they're telling, and they concentrate more on on the spelling and the grammatical uh, construction as well
0: now do you do you feel that your students are writing blogs the way an english teacher would t- teach them to do it or are they writing blogs using their own speaking patterns the way several of my high school kids write constantly
1: well you see them occasionally writing in text speak you know <laughs> kind of this this kind of concatenated this kind of squeeze text which they would use all in texting using so letters made, instead of words for instance you know <laughs> and and uh, they also, um, they, they, use other, they use other misconstructions like I would of you know, spelled O-F, you know, of which are classic mistakes that teenagers make all the time because they, it's phonetically correct and therefore it must be morphologically correct as well. But, of course, it's wrong. And, and um, so when they realize, even my, my, um, my second and third years, when they realize they've got an audience out there reading their work, And it becomes a surprise to them. After they've they've gotten over the surprise, then they go back and they start editing the wiki or they they go back to the blog and revise it. And and I've got evidence that shows that this is happening quite a lot.
0: Are there any apps that you feel that we should stay away from?
1: Uh, Me? Um, Well,
0: and I'll ask, I'll, I'll post the question this way. Is there any that are better than the other? For instance, there's two or three dozen blogging apps out there Are there ones that you would recommend over others? I would
1: recommend Blogger and I would recommend WordPress as probably the two easiest blogging tools uh, available. I mean, there are others as well, uh, but I think my experience mainly is with those two and I find them very easy to use.
0: Is there anything, uh, Steve or Mark, that you have had um, success with creating wikis or creating small social networks like that? Mark
2: um, no unfortunately I um, I just basically have my blog which is my main site, and then I have my social network in uh, LinkedIn with Twitter so I actually do it that way um, but I'm just on the um, <clears throat> part of me on the Twitter standpoint I think Talking about the uh, text and and the way that the kids uh, abbreviate words and and don't sort of write uh, necessarily in the way that we'd like them to, I think Twitter does help that. Uh, Certainly messaging friends, it doesn't, but if you could teach kids to actually use Twitter correctly, that 140 characters, you really need to think what words I can put in there to actually say a lot without you know, write in a lot of words or abbreviate in. So I think that's a good tool.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with Twitter being, it's a very powerful tool, really, when you you think that um, if you're giving students a pricey um, task to do, you know, here's a hundred word um, kind of uh, abstract, I want you to bring it down to one sentence, then Twitter is the ideal tool for that. But back to the question about wikis, um, Jeff, you asked. um, About four or five years ago, when wikis first started to become familiar to people in the classroom i was using wiki spaces um to set up little group wikis for that attached themselves to modules that we were teaching which were 10 week modules on a given subject and at the start of that week we'd introduce the wiki to the to the students and then they'd go away every week or every day in some cases and, and they'd, they'd go off and they'd do their own research and stick it up onto the wiki and then edit each other's pages Uh, More recently, we've been using wet paint and PB, uh, peanut butter wiki, which are both very easy to use. In fact, they're much more attractive, I find, than wiki spaces. And uh, in effect, they double up as as, um, learning management systems because we can create other content that goes in there as well, which allows students to keep track about what they're studying and and where they're supposed to be at what particular time and so on.
0: Speaking as a parent, I guess I'll, I'll say this. Speaking as a teacher, um, it's easy for us to say, I don't know how to do that. It's going to take too much time. I don't have the time to do that. I don't have the time to put all that together in my curriculum. As a parent, are we at the point where we should start to say, you're a teacher. It's your job to have a website. It's your job to have all this extracurricular stuff lined up for your students. This is the 21st century. Get with it. Or where do we feel we are with you know thinking of our kids and education here
2: well i'll I'll be quite honest i believe that teachers need to have as much in the 21st uh, century technology as possible and have the knowledge to uh, back up what they're doing and so forth however i don't believe it should be to the detriment of their personal lifestyle to keep a blog or a website up to date i believe that through the schools and the education departments worldwide, that the teachers should be not only given time to be educated on the latest technology and the pitfalls and the and positives, and, but they, they should be given time to actually, and paid time, mind you, to actually keep all this information flowing and make sure that it, it gets delivered concisely and accurately to, uh, to students.
1: Yeah, I think teachers are some of the busiest people on earth. Uh, anybody who's a teacher, um, we and we all are. And we're, I'm, I'm married to a teacher as well, and one of my daughters is working towards being a teacher as well, and, and we know that they're busy people. We know that we, we haven't got enough time to, to blow our noses, so to speak. So, um, you know, Mark's right about getting some time available, uh, ring-fencing some time perhaps to, you know, within within school hours to actually be able to do these kind of things. But on the other side of the coin... Um, I've, I've just written a series of blogs on, on blogging for teachers and one of them was entitled something like Seven Reasons Why Teachers Should Blog. I think it's had 5,000 hits in the last three weeks because um, a lot of the teachers seem to be coming in and reading it and making comments about it, mostly positively. Um, and one of the things I've said that is a must, one of the reasons why teachers really, really should blog, even if they keep it to themselves and don't publish it, is that... In the act of writing, as Daniel Chandler said, you are written. What what he meant by that, I think, was that we can crystallize our thoughts, our abstract thoughts, into concreteness. And as we write, we, we begin to understand more about what we're thinking, and we begin it begins to reveal it to re- reveal to us to to us what are the important things within those thought processes. So, really, blogging uh, can be more than just an online diary. But if it is just a private online diary, it can still be used creatively to get you to crystallize your thoughts and make things more concrete
0: and how how do what do we say to this to the teacher that might come back and say i'm you know i'm kind of nervous about doing all this stuff and you know you don't want to put too much of yourself out there you might get in trouble you might you know having a student find you learn you know learn more about you we always have that that barrier as a teacher of not wanting to to cross the student teacher line if you start blogging like do you have is there that issue in, in the uk or in australia
2: in Australia there is, uh, there's been a couple of cases of inappropriate posts and, and photographs and so forth uh, going up, but it's in the minority. <clears throat> and I don't think for a minute that that's the, the general uh, teacher body, uh, you know, that all the teachers are sort of representing. And I think most teachers would be aware of the, the pitfalls and wanting to uh, not go down that track, and maybe they just need a little bit of handholding in that case to make sure that they don't go down that
0: track.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think with a bit of prudence, with a bit of knowledge about the filtering systems and moderation systems that can be applied onto blogs, um, most teachers would do it. I think um, there are there are crossing the line points where you don't friend a teach uh, where teachers don't friend their students on Facebook, for instance. Um, I tend not to friend my students either, and and they're adults. Um, so, so there are un- unwritten rules, I suppose, but um, and there have been a few cases in the UK where teachers have friended students on Facebook, and then it's gone a little bit, uh, it's unravelled, and, and things have gotten out of hand, and um, dangerous things have happened. Um, but generally speaking, if a teacher is going to set up a blog, then they they can't expect too many people to read it to begin with. Uh, that that's the stark fact. Uh, until you've blogged for quite some time normally you're not going to get any readers unless you're really famous and then eventually as you blog and and the more you blog the more it gets around to people and the more people will come and read it and keep coming back. Twitter is a great way of emphasizing new blog posts of course Um, whenever I write a new blog post I tweet it out and that way I, I increase my traffic so it depends on whether you want traffic or not and then it depends on whether you want comments or not and then it depends on what you do with those comments when you get them. So there's a lot of factors involved in
0: it. I completely agree with that. All right, let's take a little bit of a left turn here as we were uh, looks like we're approaching about the 45-minute mark or so. Um, let's say I was a teacher and I'm really interested in incorporating some of these 21st century skills, some of these Web 2.0 uh, tactics that we've been talking about, but I don't work in a very big school district. I don't have a lot of budget. And basically, if I want to use it, I got to go out and pay for it myself. Um, Mark, maybe you could start here. But what are some of the apps that natively come with Windows or Mac that we might be able to use for podcasting or, or blogging? Or what are some of the things that you use? I, I know you're a very big uh, native OS person here.
2: I am, Uh, and there's not a lot, I've got to be quite honest, on the, say, the Mac side of, uh, you know, blogging and and podcasting. There was iWeb, but unfortunately the support and the uh, continued improvement of that application is going away, so I wouldn't recommend that. But when you've got sites like Blogger, for instance, and then you've got Twitter, uh, I I think these can sort of be used and linked in together, and, and being both free, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the blog is free. Um, yes. You know, I, I think that's a, a fairly good set of tools that you can get on any platform. It doesn't have to be Mac. It could be uh, one of these little, uh, you know, portable triple E uh, you know e learning uh, laptops and so forth that are really cheap at the moment, and you could actually create your blog and, and Twitter out just on those and they 're quite adequate for what I, I feel a lot of people and certainly teachers would need to get the information out. how they would then uh, get it to get that information to students who perhaps don 't live in uh, financial uh, sort of systems that can afford them the the correct computers and that is another story. Um so that 's a bit of a dark area, but certainly, using things that are free and there 's a lot of them out there uh, is is the best thing don 't as from my standpoint, I try not to spend money if I can and and that 's how I do it. I use more free services. And just make sure that they're not advertising-based where, you know, they they throw up ads for, you know, things that you don't want or an ad saying, you know, click here and you'll win $1,000 because that's not going to help you in education. It's going to give you a bad name, unfortunately. Those don't work? Well, look, I don't click on them. (laughs) And I wouldn't recommend anyone does.
0: (laughs) I've got about four or five free iPad 2s coming, Mark. What are you saying?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) I'm I'm saying it sounds good. To, uh, it sounds too good to be true.
0: In fact, m- most of my Twitter users have been trying to get me free iPad twos for whatever reason.
1: <laughs> See, there, yeah, there are lots of free tools out there, Mark's right, and and uh, and I tend to use all the free tools. Um, there there are great teacher tools out there. You know, t- fun tools as well, like Edmodo, for instance, which is. Ad free. If if um, you're a school using it in the what, UK, I don't know if it helps what, elsewhere as well.
0: What is Edmodo? Because they have a really neat uh, iPhone iPad app, and I, I see that all the time. But I, what is Edmodo?
1: It's like a kind of blogging tool, really. I, I, I think it's, it's kind of um, it allows you to to create text and, and pictures and images and so on, um, and, and and send them out to people to for people to read it. You know, so um, but it's specifically for education within schools, uh, and, and that that's the whole point of it. And therefore, it's ad free. Uh, and there are lots of other tools like this as well. Have you heard of Blabberize?
0: Eyes? No, I haven't.
1: That is absolutely hilarious. Uh, with Blabber Eyes, what you can do is you can take a picture of any famous celebrity like, I don't know, um, David Cameron or Barack Obama or, or you know, I, I don't know, Lady Gaga or whatever. And um, it will animate them as you talk over them, as you talk, as you create the, the words for them to say um, and record it. Then it plays it back and their mouth moves and. In time with the the words that you've spoken, I, it's well, just hilarious. But well, but it's so creative because the kids love it, you know, and, and they can, you know, create all sorts of scenarios and cartoons from it and st- tell stories.
0: And what's that site called again?
1: Blabberize.
0: Blubberize. We'll have to uh, put a link to that one on the site. That seems uh, pretty fun there.
1: Well, and there are dozens of others as well. I, I'm thinking of little tools that I've got actually as free, well, not freebies, but as 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 a part of the. Um, the the uh, the Windows um, tools that I'm using here at the moment. I, I've got a little tool called Snipper Tool. Have you seen that one? Um, and the Snipping Tool, essentially, it, it, it's it's within your accessories in, in in Windows. And all you do is you activate it, and then you can take a screen capture of any part of the screen in front of you, save it as a, a JPEG image or a GIF image, and then in, incorporate it into your blog or or whatever. And I find tools like that so simple to use, and, and I take them for granted, but without them, it's sometimes very difficult to capture a part of your screen.
0: I think there's a lot of free things that come natively with your machine, whether it be Mac or Windows, that, that it's just not promoted. I mean, iMovie is so simple, and I have a lot of teachers saying, oh, but I don't have a Mac, I, I can't do that. Well, Windows Movie Maker is, is beautiful, and it's, it works just as well
1: yeah, yeah our, our students use that a lot we we use them with flip cams we we, we take the flip cam out the um uh you know the, you know the little flip cams with the um the usb um port yeah. In them. yeah yeah uh, uh, they go out and record maybe 10 minutes of, of, of movie and then or 20 minutes or whatever they come back and they, they bring it down to two minutes by editing it through movie maker and it's so simple because you're just dropping content in and, and sequencing it
0: it's it's just so simple to do that uh a summer ago, I was teaching a podcasting class um, to fifth and sixth graders, where we just ran around the school for a couple of weeks with with those flip cams, and I brought them back and showed them my movie, and 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 they loved it, and it was so simple, and and they just had a great time putting you know background music to it and all, and and yeah, it's there's just an awful lot of stuff out there that's free that's that we can it gives do them it.
1: It gives them a sense of achievement, you see, and that's that's the most important thing.
0: Absolutely, and, and uh, just two other things that, as I'm thinking about here, you know, a lot of us teachers want to do screencasts for our students. You know, if we're teaching a, a particular app, it's one thing to stand up in front of the class and demonstrate it, but if I can make a screencast of my own voice and my own motion showing a student how to set up a Word document or a music program, like I do. Um, I, I find screencasts are simple and easy, and there's a program out called Jing, J-I-N-G, which is a screencast producer. It's free. That's a cool tool, that one. It is. It, it certainly is. It, it's by the same people that make Camtasia, which is another e-learning tool of, yeah. of how to do screencasts. And, man, I, I guess maybe we should uh, come up with a list here or find a list and, and just post it online because there's just an awful lot of, of free stuff. Um as we're wrapping up here, like what, what's your uh, app of choice these days? What, what, what's the one or two apps that you just can't live without these days, Steve?
1: For me, Blogger and Twitter. They work in tandem with each other. And uh, anybody who visit my, visits my blog will see that I've got a live Twitter stream within Blogger. But I've also got blog links in my Twitter stream. So they're, they're co-joined. They're joined at the hip. <laughs>
0: Mark?
2: Uh, mine would be Twitter, absolutely. It's uh, the... I just call it the best social networking platform out there because everything's public, nothing's private, so uh, there's not any misconception or any confusion over posting information. You post it up on Twitter, everyone can see it. You can, of course, have a private account, but then not so many people can see what you're writing. As for applications, I use a series of applications that come built in with the Mac and uh, they pretty much uh, work in the iWork suite.
1: What's your Twitter name, Mark? I don't know if I'm following you or not.
2: Everyday Mac. Oh, sorry, Everyday Every Mac. Day Mac Support.
1: Everyday Mac Support. Okay, well, that's your Twitter name. Mine's Timbukteeth.
2: <laughs> Actually, no. Correction, It's Everyday Mac. <laughs>
1: Everyday I knew I'd get account.
2: that, wrong? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be following you.
0: <laughs> well, Mark and Steve, it's certainly been a pleasure to have you guys on. Thank you so much for being a part of the show.
2: Thanks for having us. Well, thank you.
0: Um, yeah why don't we uh, wrap up here as we just sort of did and uh, have you guys tell us a little bit about where to find you guys on the web. Uh, Steve, why don't you go first?
1: Okay. Uh, my main website now is steve-wheeler.net. Okay. And um, you can also find my blog as steve-wheeler.blogspot.com.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And as I
1: said, I'm, uh, I'm Tim Buk-T on Twitter
0: (laughs) very cool and uh, Mark where where can the public find you
2: well you can find me at www.everydaymaxsupport.com where I do basically a series of blogs and podcasts relating to Mac and learning everything out of the box from the Mac, what you can expect to get. And uh, I go through quite in detail uh, with system preferences and and how to sort of tweak it to make it work for your uh, needs and so forth. And you can also come across and have a chat with me on Twitter with username EverydayMac.
0: And of course, you can keep up to date with all of the latest information on how to be a better 21st century educator and the brand new apps that are coming out for all of our OS platforms by visiting us often on our website, teachercast.net, and following us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Well, thanks for listening to the TeacherCast podcast. If you like what you just heard, we hope that you'll pass along our web address, teachercast.net, to all of your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check us out on our archive section on our website for previous podcasts and app reviews that are beneficial to you, the 21st Century Educator. We just got our iTunes feed up, so we'd like to have you check out that as well. This has been a TeacherCast production. Join us next time for another edition of the TeacherCast podcast. Good night, everybody.